are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi. It's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. When something happens to your car, you might say, No! My car! But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So, just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no heart, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hello, Dan. I'm Honolulu. Honolulu. Good to see you. Uh, yeah, just got back from uh, doing the my last stand-up shows for a while in Hawaii and excited to focus just on podcasting. Yeah. And, and also, a, a quick stand-up note, though, um, before anything horror-related, uh, I'd like to let stand-up fans know that I am back on Pandora. Oh, hell yes. <laughs> you can now listen to all my old albums on there. And I'm sure I'll get audio for my most recent release. Uh, that still exists only on YouTube. Uh, and I'll get the audio up on Pandora at some point in the future. But finally, after a lot of lawyering, I uh, was able to get out of some crazy beef between my former publishing company, SiriusXM and Pandora. Beef never wanted to be in in the first place. Your former company isn't Pandora. It was somebody else. The publishing company is the former company. Yes. And then, yeah, it was between them and Pandora. Yeah, I thought that's what I said. Uh, love Pandora. So happy that that's all hopefully now in the past. And uh, yeah, Pandora is what built bad magic up in the first place, actually, mm -hmm. through uh, through Time Suck ads. Um, if you'd like to create a Dan Cummins station and thumb up some tracks, it's a free way to help my stand-up audience stay engaged so that when I uh, do go back on tour again someday, I can tour again to my own crowd again. And it also helps us, even on Scared to Death, find new listeners. Yeah. Since we use uh, my Pandora stand-up station uh, to market Scared to Death. So just wanted to let you know that I'm back on there. It's free to listen to. And thanks to uh, several fans for alerting me because that's how I found out. I <laughs> didn't even know. It's also how you found out you weren't on there anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's uh, a maybe, weird thing. Maybe in February's bonus episode, we can share a little bit more of the behind the scenes on that. Yeah, such it, a confusing saga. Yeah, yeah. And just again, like we say many times uh, here and on the bonus episodes, yeah, like anything you can do to support the arts is great. And mm -hmm. like Pandora Stations is just a really quick, free way to help support an artist. Yeah, not just me, any anybody who's on there. Exactly. Yeah, get on there. Lo give some love to your people. The ratings and reviews for shows, like all those like small things that you're like, ah, I don't know if that matters. Yeah. It matters. So thank you. And uh, we appreciate the love. Yep, exactly. And also thanks again, to, uh, speaking of the love, uh, for the recent ratings and reviews for what we're doing here. So appreciate that very much. Um, you know, uh, a good review, just kind of like a good Yelp review for a restaurant. 
leads to more people going and seeking out that restaurant. That's what you and I do when we're traveling. Totally. I think it's like what all people do. Yeah. And that's when people are looking for a new podcast and they look through the, you know, uh, some some new horror podcasts or whatever. They're looking through the charts. Yeah. They're going to look at the ratings. So those good ratings truly help. And they're going to look yeah. at the reviews. Yeah. Yeah. And like the the totality of the number of them. Because it's like yeah. if something has like two reviews, you're like, I don't know. Yeah. It could be a diamond in the rough. Uh-huh. But yeah, it could be something that not many people enjoy. I know. That's how I find a good hole in the wall. I'm like, yeah. let's see. How long have they been open? Five reviews? Okay. <laughs> uh, how many ho- horror stories? Well, Daniel. I thought about saying stories and horror at the same time. There. Some, well, some actually, that still- Horror rories. Well, still could be stories. Yeah. And maybe that's where it comes from. Uh, I have two. My first story is kind of funny, but I love it, about a, a ghost and a phone. Okay. It, I think it'll crack you up, but also great confirmation story. And then my second story, uh, hard to not completely give it away, but uh, a, a person has a very strange interaction, also somehow involving a phone, but also not. It's very, it's very strange. So phone. Phone is the clue of the second one. Phone. I'm just going to start giving clues. <laughs> uh, I have two stories, and I uh, also have an unintentional North America indigenous peoples theme for today's show. Okay. I gravitated for reasons I don't even know towards picking two tales that heavily involve Native history. The first is the story of the Santa Fe de Vargas Street House. Mm. I'll share the history that surrounds one of the oldest houses in all of America and reference what kinds of paranormal sightings occur there. And then I'll share a nice and creepy modern encounter tale set there. And then for my second story, I'm going to share the lore of Spearfinger. Great name for a creepy monster that comes from Cherokee folklore. I just feel like I'm going to hear the origin tale of Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> yeah, or Freddy Krueger. Yeah. yeah. Uh, before we get into today's first tale, um, I'll go over a little bit of history. And before that, uh, Lindsay's going to showcase her spoopy socks. Spoopy socks. I don't know where these came from. I mean, I know they came from a fan, but I found them in the bin of unworn socks. <laughs> and they make me think of Mean Girls, like Get In Loser, We're Going Shopping, which Dan doesn't know because he's never seen that movie. But uh-huh. uh, I think these are pretty funny. Yeah, those are cute. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Let's go. New Mexico, the land of infinite blue skies and pink sunsets over foreboding mountain ranges and green chili everything, home of the hot air balloon festival, a whole bunch of Whataburgers, and lots and lots of ghost stories. A whole bunch of Whataburgers. Okay. That's a big chain. Although many of us are probably familiar with the eerie legends of the Wild West, uh, New Mexico's sordid past goes beyond outlaws killing outlaws. The history of colonialism in the state has left us with innumerable tragedies, as well as, you guessed it, quite a few ghostly ones as well. Considered one of the oldest houses in the entire U.S., De Vargas Street House in Santa Fe is home to a number of these haunted tales. De Vargas House is located in the Barrio del Enalco of the state's capital and sits across from the oldest church in the U.S., the Spanish colonial mission church, San Miguel Chapel, founded in 1610. De Vargas House is a traditional two-story adobe building with thick mud brick walls, dirt floors, and small rectangular windows. The house currently has seven rooms, the oldest three of which currently serve as a history museum and gift shop. For the past century, visitors and passerbys have reported not only that the place is most definitely haunted, but that it is haunted by angry, vengeful, malevolent spirits that make their victims feel like they'll never leave De Vargas Street House, even when they finally do. Given how many times it has been reconstructed and redone, DeVargas' exact age is up for some debate. While the wooden beams of the home's roof are dated to be from between 1740 and 1767, 
the mud bricks are clearly from the era of Spanish colonization back in the 1500s. And the lower walls of one room are made of puddled adobe, an indigenous building technique that predates the mud bricks the Spanish colonists use. Finally, a portion, uh, portion of the foundation dates all the way back to approximately 1200 CE, centuries before the Spanish ever made it to the so-called New World. Having stood as witness to so many years of human habitation, and also so many eras of intense change and conquest, De Vargas Street House has undoubtedly seen its fair share of grief and suffering. Prior to the 16th century, Santa Fe was home to a number of Pueblo Native American villages, and the De Vargas Street House, then a traditional Puebloan structure, was most likely home to multiple families over several centuries. And then that all came to a bloody end in 1598, 67 years after the Kingdom of New Mexico was first claimed by the Spanish crown. The last conquistador, Don Juan de Anote, colonized the area and founded Santa Fe, accompanied by a number of Tlaxcalan people from present-day Mexico. The Aztecs were the enemies of the Tlaxcalan, so during Spanish conquest, the Tlaxcalan allied with the crown in hopes of having the Aztecs and other enemies destroyed. During the Spanish colonization of what is now New Mexico, the approximately 100,000 indigenous Puebloan people living in the region were subjected to abuse, exploitation, forced religious conversion to Catholicism, slavery, and overall cultural genocide. Spanish guns and swords spilled so, so much blood. The Tlaxcalan force that accompanied the Spanish created their own neighborhood in the newly claimed land called the Barrio de Analco, and the Puebloan construction at De Vargas Street House was converted to an adobe home to house a Tlaxan family. As the years went on, the abuse of the native people became more brutal, and the Puebloans began to fight back. Small revolutions sprouted up around Santa Fe, most of which resulted in the mass execution of rebels. During this time, the Spanish implemented gallows in the Barrio del Analco for both execution purposes and to dissuade any further uprisings. However, in 1680, after the Spanish cruelly executed several native medicine men and had dozens of others publicly whipped, the Puebloan peoples conducted the only successful native uprising against a colonizing power in North American history, the Great Pueblo Revolt. In a coordinating effort to drive the colonizers out, the Puebloan people armed themselves and attacked the Spanish's homes, buildings, and sites of worship. The Tlaxcalan people were also not spared in the attack. De Vargas Street House and its neighborhood were a bloodbath. Colonizers were executed out in the streets and inside their homes alike, and some homes were even burned to the ground. The Great Pueblo Revolt kept the Spanish out of Santa Fe for over a decade, until the Spaniard Don Diego de Vargas reconquered the region in 1692. That year, a smaller rebellion took place when 70 Puebloan warriors and 40 of their family members attempted to stop Don Diego de Vargas from re-entering Santa Fe after a trip to Mexico. Unfortunately, they were unsuccessful. 70 warriors were publicly executed in the town square, three miles from de Vargas Street House. Their families were sentenced to 10 years of slavery each, and girls under the age of 12 were separated from their families and sent to Mexico. After that, Santa Fe grew rapidly, and De Vargas Street House underwent a countless series of inhabitants. In 1709, it was home to the Spanish territorial governor, Jose Chacon. The house was then turned over to the archdiocese until 1881, when it was turned into a Christian school for children alongside San Miguel Chapel. Throughout the 20th century, it shuffled through dozens of owners until eventually it became a commercial property and was designated a historic site. As the plaque outside its entrance reads, The historic Santa Fe Foundation finds this building worthy of preservation, the oldest house. Now that we know a bit about the colorful past of the oldest house and the area around it, it's no surprise that De Vargas Street House, in addition to being one of the oldest structures in the U.S., 
is also known as one of the most haunted. As we've seen in countless other stories, it seems that one of the main reasons that ghosts seem to stick around on this plane of existence is because they endured a traumatizing and or sudden death, one that was so shocking, such as being executed in their home or burned alive, that they can't even process it in the afterlife. So instead of moving on to whatever's next, they stay where they died, unable to even comprehend that they have died because it came so suddenly or so brutally. For many of the apparitions seen at DeVarga's street house, this seems to be the case. Figures are seen wandering, not just inside the structure's walls, but outside of them as well, looking lost and frightened. When people have tried to approach these entities, they cannot seem to hear them. They simply keep searching, wandering, and eventually disappearing if the living is lucky. The other reason we typically see ghosts remain on Earth, or at least here on Scared to Death, is because of anger. If you are angry in life, it seems that there is a chance you'll also be angry in death. Your rage, hatred, and bitterness that may keep you tethered to the place you despise. What a terrible fate. More often than being bound here by confusion, the ghosts that haunt DeVarga's street house, aka the oldest house, seem to be bound here by their fury. Those who they have visited have reported feeling like their chests are being compressed upon walking into one of the older rooms of the house. Or in more unique encounters, that someone is raking their nails along their skin. Although two of the museum's rooms are set up to look like they would have in the Spanish colonial period, many visitors report that stepping into DeVarga's street house doesn't feel like stepping back in time. It feels like getting lost in it, as if there is something rooted in that house that wraps itself around you as soon as you walk in, pulling you deeper, squeezing you tighter, crawling into the deepest part of your soul and yanking you into whatever liminal hell it's been subjected to, never wanting you to leave. Specifically, there are two male spirits that are most often reported to terrorize visitors, sometimes in subtle ways, like the sounds of their heavy footfalls and ragged breath and making the living feel like they're being watched wherever they go in the house, and sometimes in more overt and permanent ways, like we'll hear in today's story. Are you now ready to meet a supposed spirit still living in one of the oldest houses in America? Let's do it. Time now for the tale of I Never Left. Before I get into my story, I want to start by saying this. It's not one that I ever wanted to tell. I never wanted to tell this story because it is truly a scary story. And I hate scary stories. I hate scary everything, really. I never like going to haunted houses at Halloween or watching horror movies on first dates or any date after that. As a kid, I was even freaked out by this pile of old goosebumps books from the 90s that my brother gave me. Remember those? with the flimsy yellow pages and some Lovecraftian horror or menacing deep purple haunted house gracing the covers. I wouldn't even allow those suckers to be left out alone on my bookshelf. They were imprisoned inside a shoebox wrapped in duct tape, lest the Lovecraftian horror escape its pages. And that shoebox was hidden at the bottom corner of my closet, where the terror of those undoubtedly haunted artifacts would hopefully be contained. But more than anything, more than scary movies or houses or books, I've always hated scary stories. Because to me, too often, there is just something so extra real about them. Scary stories tend to come from the mouths of friends and family. And to me, that's infinitely more terrifying than something that came from Blockbuster or the library. I don't personally know the directors or screenwriters of the movies I watch. I don't know any horror authors. But I do, obviously, know my friends and family. And outside of a few exceptions, when they've told me something, I believe them. You know that inevitable part of every childhood sleepover where one asshole kid starts warbling off some absolutely true legend of a murderous babysitter or a clown in a basement or deformed monster out in the nearby woods? 
Well, I was the irritating kid that shakily protested from under my sleeping bag. Guys, seriously, stop. This isn't funny. And the reason I protested was because whether or not I admitted it, I was convinced it was true. And if it was true, then it was, I don't know, somehow dangerous to talk about it. Looking back, I find it funny that as a kid, when you hear these stories, they seem so convincing. It's like because Jenny from math class said it, it has to be real. It's not that my little kid brain would think that Jenny wouldn't lie, especially if I already know Jenny loves to gossip. It's that I would think that she had no reason to lie about something as petrifying as what she was saying. What could Jenny from math class possibly gain from sharing this horrifying knowledge that 12 years ago on this very night, an escapee from the local insane asylum broke into a house in this very neighborhood and brutally slaughtered eight unsuspecting elementary school kids just like us? Nothing, right? Why would she lie about that? Well, that might not have been your thought process, but it was definitely mine. I just trusted people. Still do for the most part. I figure every little scary story must have some semblance of truth in it. Otherwise, why would someone tell it in the first place? Again, this might not be the way that your brain works, but it's the way that mine did and still does largely. So just go with it. Anyway, the reason I've always hated scary stories was because I believed them. I still believe them. And I think that belief was a thing that got me caught up in one. I live in New Mexico. The specifics of where I won't divulge to the world, but where I grew up is not too far away from the state capital of Santa Fe. Growing up, my family and I used to visit Santa Fe a lot, partly because my grandma and cousins lived there, and partly because there was a lot more to do than there was in our town. Plus, my cousins had a pool, which was a lifesaver on boiling hot summer days. During one visit a little under a decade ago, my three cousins, Leah, Randy, Robbie, and I were spending the day with our grandma at her nursing home when she suggested we go visit the new museum at the DeVarga Street House. To be honest, I think she was just trying to get rid of us so she could watch Wheel of Fortune without Randy and Robbie's bickering, drowning out the sweet sound of Pat Sajak's voice. But we obliged and headed out. After an egregiously long bus ride from my grandma's neighborhood to Barrio del Analco and a grueling 15-minute walk from the bus stop to DeVarga Street, we finally arrived. We burst into the museum entrance, boiling hot and sweaty and loudly complaining to each other. And it took a moment for us to realize that, other than us, the place was completely silent. We were like four middle school bullies or bulls in a china shop. Luckily, there were no other patrons there for us to annoy, only the front desk clerk. He was an old cowboy of sorts and was sitting low in a wooden chair with a toothpick in his mouth. <laughs> he stared down Robbie and Randy, who were clearly troublemakers. I don't blame him until my braver older cousin Anna stepped in. Hello, we'd like to buy four tickets to the museum, please, she said cheerily. Museum's free, he grumbled while pulling himself out of the chair with his cane. Merchandise is not. The old guy shot a look at Randy, who was reaching for a turquoise-laden leather belt on display. He yanked his hand back and nodded. Is it true this place is haunted? interrupted Robbie. My heart dropped. I didn't want to hear the answer. How could it not be? The clerk chuckled to himself, which sounded more like a grumble. What do you mean? asked Anna. I began to shuffle around the gift shop, looking for something to distract me from hearing whatever creepy thing this creepy man was going to say. But also, damn my curiosity, I couldn't help but listen. Well, he began while I was fumbling with some turquoise marbles I found in the back. This place has seen too much bloodshed, too much pain, too much death. First, it was a dwelling for some Puebloans back in the 1200s until they were forced out to make way for the Spanish conquistadors. Then it was given to a Tlaxcalan family, as were almost all the other houses in this here neighborhood. 
That was until the Puebloans got fed up, and they descended upon Barrio del Analco to get their revenge on the colonizers. In this very house, a family, men, women, children, all slaughtered for the evils they committed. Families slaughtered in almost every house in this neighborhood. Some Tlaxcalans and Spanish had their throats sliced in their very kitchens while their daughters and sons watched. Others were dragged by the hair of their heads across the dirt floors, the mud and muck scraping and scratching them as they did, and deposited out there in the street to be publicly executed, just as they had publicly executed so many innocent natives before. Others were kept inside their homes while the rebels lit them on fire. They were burned alive in the place they were meant to be safest. The old cowboy was clearly loving this. I bet he, I bet he got quite a kick out of scaring the hell out of a group of junior high kids. He, was, he probably thought were brats. Skin, bone, guts, nails, teeth, all of it just eaten up by the flames. They think 400 folks died that day. Men, women, children, all of them. Over a thousand would die in less than two weeks' time. Even 22 of the 33 Franciscan missionaries living in Santa Fe at the time were slaughtered in their own goddamn church. The red dirt of these streets grew redder with soiled blood, kids. So that's why I always say, how could it not be haunted? By this point, I wished I had worked much harder to not hear the scary story, and I was staring dumbfounded at this man. We all were. Anna spoke up. Sir, I don't think that's a very appropriate story for kids. The old cowboy just laughed. Darling, that's just history. We all just mumbled some response of, okay, then awkwardly made our way into the first room of the museum, which had been arranged to look like it would have in the 1500s. Once we were inside, we huddled together in the corner by the adobe fireplace and whispered so the old guy couldn't hear us. What the fuck? said Randy, to which Anna pinched him on the arm for cursing. He flicked her hand away. No, seriously, that guy's nuts. It's all BS, said Robbie. I mean, even if all that stuff did happen, there's still no way this place is actually haunted. Robbie was 14 and the oldest of us four, and therefore the wisest. So that seemed to settle it for Anna and Randy. They both agreed that the guy was just a loon, and the place wasn't actually haunted, and we all dispersed to do the rest of the tour. I wasn't convinced. I was terrified. I couldn't get the guy's words out of my head. How could it not be? Still glued to the fireplace, I was nervously going over his words in the head, my head, over and over again, trying to get up the courage to proceed deeper into the ancient house. When I heard it, sobbing, quiet, distant, muffled sobbing. I looked around frantically, thinking it was one of my cousins doing a bit. But they were all just aimlessly walking around the room, half admiring the old artifacts and half messing with each other. None of them were making the sound. I was utterly confused. I thought maybe someone was hurt in the next house over. But a moment later, the origin of the sound seemed to shift to now be emanating from inside the house. I was paralyzed. Why wasn't anyone else hearing it? I began to say something, but my voice caught in my throat. I knew whatever I said was going to come out wrong. The sobbing grew, not louder, but heavier. Like the sorrow that weighed it down, made it so deep and guttural. It was joined by something else, something sharper, not sadness, but rage, hate. I don't know how to describe it. Even now I sound silly, but that's really the only way to convey what it sounded like in that moment. Like agony washed over with hostility, disgust. You coming? Nana said, yanking my head from the foggy place it was getting sucked into. Um, I'm going to stay here for a second. You guys go ahead, I mumbled, and adjusted to look like I was reading the sign explaining the history of the artifacts. When I heard her leave, I looked up again. Immediately, I regretted my decision. I was alone. I felt like I had been displaced, isolated, and far away. Even though I knew it was all just a setup to look old, I felt disoriented in time. 
Not necessarily like I had traveled back in time to when DeVarga Street House would have actually looked like it did in the museum display, but like I was suspended in time, in limbo, in a perpetual vague in-between. The sobbing hadn't stopped. I looked around madly, already on the verge of tears. It now sounded like it was coming from the next room over where my cousins were. I felt like my ability to move had been amputated, like I had no control over where or when I could go. The only thing to do was wait. There was no fucking way I was going to go into that next room, further into the house and closer to whatever was making that sound, but there was also no fucking way I was going to go back into the entryway gift shop to wait for my family with the old guy. For some reason, I blamed him for what was happening, like he had beset this upon us, or I guess upon me, when he told us that story, like that it somehow made me vulnerable to whatever he was talking about. The crying continued. I shut my eyes, dug my heels into the dirt floor, trying to anchor myself and steal it out of my mind. Then, in an instant, it shifted. It was closer. Whatever was crying so violently with such grief and loathing was in the room with me. It wasn't louder, but it was less muffled, like when you wipe condensation off of a fogged-up window. Clearer, sharper, more distinct. The sound was so carnal and visceral, like I could hear the spit spewing from its mouth with each blubbering cry. I could make out each sputtering spastic breath between each outburst, each croaking mucusy gasp for air. I felt my vision go blurry. Again, I heard the old man's voice in my head. How could it not be? The room was completely empty, through tears and panic. From my spot in the corner, I looked around searching for some explanation, searching for a source, but nothing. I couldn't even pinpoint where in the room the sound was coming from. It felt like it was coming from everywhere at once. I was overwhelmed and terrified, and I couldn't move. There was no escape. Suddenly, the sobbing began to slow, and for what felt like hours, I listened to the disembodied voice diminish its cry until it was no longer crying, but just loudly breathing. There were no other sounds. I couldn't hear the wind outside or my cousins in the next room over. I couldn't even hear my own breathing. I could only hear it. I could only hear its labored, raspy breath. The sound of its labored breathing was much worse than the sobbing sound. The sobbing, at least, sounded aimless, without a target, a senseless sorrow and wayward rage. Now it sounded focused, determined, like it was steadying itself, composing itself, a predator preparing to disembowel its helpless prey. I closed my eyes and covered my ears, trying to drown out the sound, but it didn't help. And that's when I felt it. I felt its hot, rancid, uneven breath on the nape of my neck. I felt it behind me. I felt it despise me. I felt nothing else but its wrath. There was no time or place, no museum, no cousins, no old man at the counter, no grandma at the nursing home across town, no DeVarga Street House, no Santa Fe, no New Mexico, no me. The only thing that existed was it and its desolation and rage. Suddenly, whatever black hole this invisible entity was was in front of me. Its breath was on my face now, searing the inside of my nostrils and making my eyes water even though they were squeezed shut. My whole body was shaking. I was debilitatingly powerless. A cry escaped my closed-up throat as I felt it cup my cheek in its hands. I felt its torn and bleeding and calloused fingers, and when it dragged its rotten hands down my face, I felt a grainy and wet residue it left behind. I wanted to wipe whatever sickening thing it was off, but I felt like I was confined in a straitjacket, my arms glued to my sides. Finally, I think my fight-or-fight instinct kicked in, and I broke free from my paralysis and flew. Eyes closed, I shouted something incomprehensible, stumbled to the right of the table in the middle of the room, and ran haphazardly towards the door, flailing my hands wildly in front of me. I felt no resistance from the thing. In fact, I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel a body or a limb or a hand in front of me. It was like I was running through the air. 
But then when I plunged into the gift shop, I slammed into something large and warm and living. It gripped my shoulders and shook me. And I screamed, hey, kid, you all right? It was the old man painting or panting, excuse me. I pointed and weakly whimpered that there was something in that room. Remembering the substance, whatever it was had left on my face, I began frantically wiping my cheeks. I rubbed them so hard they felt raw, but nothing came off. There was nothing there. Hey, 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 it's all right. Come here, let's go outside. The old man put a hand on my shoulder, directed me to the exit. Outside in the sun, like the thing, my sobs began to subside until it was just ragged breaths escaping me. The old cowboy didn't say anything. He just offered me a water bottle, patted my shoulders, and waited for me to calm down. In the moment, I was thankful for his silence, but retrospect, I find it odd he didn't press me to tell him what had happened. Why wouldn't he ask me more questions? That was something I didn't really think about in that moment, but later, looking back, I think it's because he already knew the answers. Eventually, my cousins emerged and asked what had happened. Before I could answer, the old man stepped in. These old museums, he said, giving me one last pat on the back. They're not for everyone. I didn't offer any more information, and neither did he, so my cousin just moved on. They thanked him for the tour, and the four of us began making our way to the bus stop. I was silent the whole way. I think I was still pretty numb. But the farther we got from DeVargas Street, the more I felt like myself. I felt less and less like I was being dragged into that neglected oblivion where whatever that thing was resides. By the time we got to my grandma's nursing home, the terror had mostly subsided. And mostly, what I was left with was a profound confusion and gratitude that I was far, far away from the oldest house. But as it turned out... I wasn't as far away as I thought I was. During dinner in the nursing home cafeteria that night, I heard it again. Through the jumbled mumbles of a litany of old people and the elevator music that played constantly in the main rooms and halls, I heard it. From the next room over, or maybe the next table over, or maybe the next town over, I still heard it. The sound of someone sobbing, full of wretchedness and hate. Almost ten years later, I sometimes still hear that thing from DeVarga's street cry. I'll be on the bus or at work or out at a bar, and I'll hear it, clearly. Not like a memory floating up all of a sudden. Not like some earworm of a song floating back up into your head. No, the sound of someone else sobbing. Not from inside my mind, but not from the real world around me either. Sometimes it's close and clear as day. Sometimes it's far away and muffled. Either way, it's there. Despite how it sounds, I don't think that whatever it was followed me outside of the oldest house and into the world. I think that a part of me somehow is still back at the DeVarga Street House with it. And just like that thing I heard there, the thing I still hear, it might never leave. Oh, Ichiwawa. Mm-hmm. You're a good cowboy. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of my notes. When does Dan get to play a cowboy in a movie? Yeah, at least like a cartoon, just do the voiceover. Yeah, it's pretty fun. <laughs> okay, good. Do you uh, have a picture? I do have some pictures. Uh, this first one is uh, a picture from 1880 of DeVarga Street House looking much like it did hundreds of years before. And uh, this What's that creepy guy out front? Uh, I, I didn't even notice him. Um, oh, yeah, somebody's living there. they like got a little a, dog. and Like a black cloaked figure. Oh, yeah. Wearing some, uh, I don't even know what you'd call that. Cloak? Cloak, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, next to the dog. Yeah. I didn't that even, is so creepy. That's so creepy. I didn't even notice that when I picked that picture. Ugh. I, it, I'm like, is that real? Is that Photoshopped? That's strange. And actually, the person who found this story, uh, Molly, she found that picture. That must be why she chose it. Ah, no, thank you. Okay, this next one, uh, museum interior shot. So much more recent. Okay. Ah, light, mm-hmm. airy, colorful. <laughs> and uh, this next one, another interior shot. 
Mm-hmm. You have the little wooden ladder leading up to the next floor. Um, and then finally, uh, just one last exterior shot of, yeah, one of the oldest houses in America. Crazy. Mm-hmm. There's actually, it's funny, they, they build themselves, or it builds itself as the oldest house in America, but I did a little digging, and there's actually uh, some older permanently occupied dwellings uh, in America, and they're in New Mexico as well. And I can't remember it now. I wish I could, but there's, um, shoot, there's a, there's this town on top of this, like, it's, it's like a weird rock outcropping with this little plateau on top. And it's like a, a great natural defense kind of barrier. It's like okay. these cliffs surround this entire little, like, round bluff, I guess. And they carved a little, like, you know, path up uh, to, from the bottom of the, the, like, the desert floor up to the top of this bluff. And it's very flat on the bluff. Uh-huh. And there's this whole town that's been there since, like, I don't know, 1100s, 1200, like a long, long time. Wild. Uh-huh. And they actually de- uh, defended themselves several times from the Spanish and then uh, eventually just um, kind of got tricked into letting some people up there. But they had, like, almost reminded me of Indiana Jones. They had this defense mechanism where they had this one path that would lead from the top of this little bluff to the bottom. And if people were charging up the path to try to, like, attack them, yeah. they, could, they had a big pile of huge rocks at the top. And so they would just roll these boulders— oh down that and just take people out. My gosh. I don't yeah. know why I think that's really funny. Yeah, really smart. <laughs> was uh, able to get a zoom in yeah. on that yeah. first photo if you guys want to see it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely tell what it is. Definitely looks like they have maybe a basket oh, on top of Oh, she's facing the side. Yeah, a woman with like this. Oh, okay. I see it now. I was like, the Grim Reaper? What? I know. It does almost look like a cloak though, but like, uh, and then she has, she has a basket of something on top of her head, but from a distance, it looks spooky as shit. Even close up, I have to say, it's a little... I know, the all black. Bothersome. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, good close up. In that uh, bluff town. Uh-huh. And so it still exists? The it still exi- people still live there today. So not a museum. You can't go visit. I mean, I'm sure people no. go up there and they're probably like, please leave. I live well, there. Well, unfortunately, like the, I want to say 1950s, somewhere around then. Yeah. The government did like dynamite, like they built a road up to the bluff for tours, for like bus tours. Yeah. And so now it has become this little tourist thing, but also it's like this ancestral home. And I can't remember the tribe. It was a tribe I was not familiar with. Mm-hmm. Not a, a very like known tribe, but their descendants still live there. That's all. I mean- that's great that they still have ties and claims there, yeah. but like it looks also- cool. There's like modern windows and like these oh, old okay. Adobe like brick homes, and then like little satellite dishes attached. So there's like these modern Funny. things, but it's crazy that the actual dwellings. It's like it's just so rare for America, mm-hmm. so rare to be able. To, I mean, very common in Europe, yeah. But so rare for us to like be able to live somewhere where people have been living for like eight, nine centuries. Yeah, we're not really good about preservation. In that way. Well, and we, we just, just don't we, have as much either. We didn't have the like same a, structures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't been as long. Either. Yeah. Yeah. Because like a, most tribes, like they were nomadic mm-hmm. and, and they didn't build like with the same materials that would endure through the centuries. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, any questions? Um, when do you get to be a cowboy? <laughs> uh, I did like, uh, oh yeah. Uh, at the beginning, I wanted to say I loved Goosebumps so much. Funny. Now, I, I, Were you too old for that? Yeah. I think yeah. that I think or I was either too old or I just jumped to adult horror right away. Wow. Because I was like reading Stephen King when I was like eight. I don't think that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean not. you're I'm well look at you. You're fu- you're fine. <laughs> uh no, I loved the Goosebumps books so yeah. much. Like I did too. That was right? like the 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 highlight of going to the Scholastic Book Fair. Yes, for sure. it was the best. Yeah, maybe maybe they weren't out quite yet. When I was, did you have Scholastic Book Fairs? Mm-hmm. We, okay. did, we did get those book fairs. And I remember being excited about them, mm-hmm. but I don't remember the order seeing form. Goose, I remember everything about like the Scholastic Book oh, Fair. yeah, I remember the order form too. Sort of this like 
thin paper. It was like the size of a magazine and you open it and you circle it and then you put your order on the back and yeah. Oh yeah. It was such a big deal. Yeah. Such a big deal. And couldn't believe how long they went on. Like our kids still had scholastic book fairs. Oh yeah. And they got, it was so cute to see them. So excited about mm-hmm. it. I loved mm-hmm. it. Uh, anyways, I, I liked, uh, at the beginning or somewhere early on the person whose story it is as like every story holds a truth. Mm, yeah, And I love that because, I mean, that's essentially like our premise here of just like just one has to be true or just one element needs to be true yeah, yeah, yeah. for it all to be true. And mm-hmm. so I, I, this was a cool take on that. Oh, good. Good story. And, and I think I said fight or fight. I think I repeated instead of saying fight or flight. But I'm sure people got the gist. Yeah, you you did. Yeah. But I also think like I actually funny that you bring that up because when you said that, I thought like our brains just automatically correct things. Yeah. So even though you said fight or fight. I bet <laughs> most people, without us calling it out, just heard flight or fight because yeah, we make those yeah, yeah. We make those natural uh, assumptions. Yep. Okay, cool. And then you have another. Yeah, we're you ready to move on from an old old house in Santa Fe with a lot of native history behind it, and on to an ancient Cherokee horror legend. Ah, yes. Before we move on to some old pre-colonial scares, we need to take a quick in-between story sponsor break. There are over seventy-five million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high-coverage foundation. More popular than soft-launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi. It's more popular than influencers. See you in there. When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door! Winning! No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. (laughs) No one says that anymore, but I don't care. So, just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Thanks for listening to our sponsor deals, Creeps and Peepers. Please use our landing pages and codes to save money and also remind our sponsors that we are still worth sponsoring. (laughs) So thank you. Okay, no setup really with this one. Just straight into some horror folklore from the Cherokee uh, that the Cherokee have been telling for a truly unknown number of centuries. Time now for the tale of Spearfinger. Spearfinger is a terrifying monster from Cherokee folklore. Tribe members have passed down the story of Spearfinger from one generation to the next through oral tradition alone for centuries. And then James Mooney, an American ethnographer, put the monster into print when he wrote about Spearfinger in his 1900 book, Myths of the Cherokee. According to legend, Spearfinger once lived in the mountains of eastern Tennessee and western North Carolina. When translating Spearfinger's Cherokee name to English, and uh, know that the translation is not perfect, you get the phrase, she had it sharp. An appropriate title given Spearfinger's description. One of the monster's fingers is described as a sharp blade, a long straight razor in place of one of its digits, essentially, 
used to stab or slice unsuspecting victims. In addition to this Freddy Krueger-like weapon, something else that has made Spearfinger so terrifying is her stone-like skin, which makes her unable to be hurt by traditional weapons. Her one weakness is her heart, which she clutches tightly in her right hand, the same one with the blade-like finger. What forces led to the creation of such an angry, terrifying creature? Spearfinger's origin story could explain her vengeful nature. Kathy Littlejohn, a member of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians and a storyteller, told local Knoxville, Tennessee news outlet WATE in 2022, Cherokees believe in three worlds. Of course, we believe in the upper world, which is where the creator lives. Then the middle world, where humans live, animals, birds, insects, and reptiles. But then there's another world, and that's what we call the underworld. And humans are not meant to go there. There are portals where the creatures can come out, and the story of Spearfinger springs from that. After coming through a portal from the underworld and inhabiting our world long, long ago, Spearfinger and her male counterpart, Stone Man, once offended the so-called higher beings of ancient Cherokee spirituality by building a rock bridge out of boulders in the direction of their home. They called it Tree Rock. The higher beings sent down a bolt of lightning that destroyed the bridge, and some of the boulders fell on Spearfinger, which caused her stone-like skin. Many claim that the remnants of the Tree Rock Bridge can be seen near Blount County, Tennessee, in an area the Cherokee call uh, Nantahala, Land of the Noonday Sun, or the Spearfinger Place. After this, both Spearfinger and Stone Man were left to wander through the mountains, and Spearfinger took her bitter anger out on innocent villagers. She and Stone Man also became each other's worst enemies, both blaming the other for their punishment from the gods, and they both competed for the same food source, human flesh. The majority of Spearfinger's victims were children. It is said that in order to sneak up and snatch children, she could shapeshift to look like a child's family member or into the form of an elderly, harmless woman. She would gain the children's trust by offering to brush their hair until they fell asleep, putting them in a vulnerable state that allowed her to stab them in the back of the neck or through their chest and into their heart. Once she killed them, she'd reach into their stomachs and pull out their liver, her primary food source. Spearfinger was said to typically appear in the fall when the Cherokee would set brush fires on the mountain. She used the smoke to her advantage, hiding in it, lurking at the edge of the villages, picking off children who left the safety of their homes to go to a stream or gather berries. She would hide her finger, the one part of her body that couldn't change its form, under her clothing. Her victims wouldn't know her true identity until it was too late. Spearfinger terrorized children primarily, but she wasn't above killing and eating grown men and women when she could pull it off. At one point, attacks by a Spearfinger were said to be so common that anyone who left their village alone was regarded with suspicion when they came back. People now feared that they were Spearfinger in disguise, living among them and waiting to take them out when they least expected it. In one Spearfinger story regarding this particular fear, she had taken the form of a victim that she had just killed in the woods. She then snuck into their home and killed the rest of the family as they slept. In other stories, Spearfinger didn't always kill her victims quickly. Legends claim that she was so fast that sometimes her victims felt no pain when she stabbed them. They didn't even know that they had been stabbed. No blood, no scar left behind. But then her victims would become sick and die a few days later, from no longer having a liver inside of them. One hunter said he was able to see Spearfinger from a distance and return to tell the story. He said he saw an old woman walking to the woods alone, someone not from his tribe, and he heard her singing to herself over and over about how she would soon be eating human liver. Again, according to the old legends, after Spearfinger's murders continued to increase in frequency, the Cherokee held a council to decide how to get rid of Spearfinger once and for all. They decided to construct a trap by digging a pit 
and covering it with branches, then setting fires to create the smoke that might draw her in. As excuse me, as she had done for generations, Spearfinger appeared on the outskirts of the village, hidden in the smoke. She took the form of an old woman crying out for help. She almost tricked the hunters uh, on guard into helping her before at the last second they realized who was truly in front of them. They shot at Spearfinger with their arrows, but these, of course, did nothing against her stone skin. Spearfinger did fall into the pit that was her trap, though, but she remained unscathed despite hitting the wooden stakes at the bottom. Spearfinger now taunted the hunters about how they would never be able to kill her as she began to climb up and out of the pit. Everyone near feared for their lives and the lives of their families. It was then that a small bird, the titmouse, called out to them. They thought the bird was saying, Heart, instructing them to shoot at Spearfinger's chest. They aimed and fired at her chest, not knowing that her heart was held in her hand. The arrows bounced off her body and broke into pieces. Now they felt more helpless than ever to stop her. But then a chickadee landed on her right hand, and Spearfinger began shaking with fear. Looking behind the bird, the hunters saw her beating heart. They finally had discovered her one weakness. A hunter's arrow hit its target, and Spearfinger's heart beat no more. Spearfinger was finally destroyed, and her reign of terror on the villages had come to an end. Or so they thought. Some say that centuries after her supposed death, Spearfinger still walks on the Norton Creek Trail in modern-day Lake Fontana, or Fontana, North Carolina, or along the trail joining Chilawi Mountain to the Little Tennessee River. A few people have even said that they've seen her in the distance. The legend of Spearfinger is still an important part of Cherokee culture, and retellings are still common and terrify people to this day. I mean, it's pretty creepy. Mm-hmm. That's a very creepy story. Yeah. Very imaginative. I, like the blade finger and the heart being held in the hand that has the blade finger, uh-huh. and the stone skin. Yeah, I like, I like these little birds helping out. Mm-hmm. Yep, giving them, uh, showing them where they're supposed to shoot. Over here, over here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's some really cool artistic imaginings of this uh, of this creature. Okay, let's have it. Here is a, a great illustration. AI or not, might be AI. Wow. Comes from uh, the Smokies.com uh, website. It's titled "The Cherokee Legend of Spearfinger: What Did She Look Like?" Uh, the artist is uncredited, and this image seems to originate from this site. It's really cool. I know, really cool. And then really one, fucking scary. Yeah. And then uh, one more. This is a, an awesome poster design. You can find it at AndersonDesignGroupStore.com. Oh, yeah, you can get this uh, in one of six different sizes, have it framed and shipped to you. I love artwork like this. Oh, Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Uh-huh. I wonder if that's like a little... Uh, like fundraiser thing. Like, wonder if a portion goes to the park. Yeah, I wasn't able to. Yeah, I'm not sure. The only reason I asked that Very is cool. be- because, like, we've been to a number of national parks, and they all had like there was a, a period where they all had this yeah. style of poster. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know what you would would call this style, but give like sort of like vintagey throwback. But yeah, yeah. yeah I'm not I, sure if it's part of that series or not, but it, but it also made me think about? of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, that's a uh, AndersonDesignGroupStore.com. That's cool. She's buffing that one. Look at that bicep. Yeah, she's got some good muscle tone. Uh-huh. And a big uh, blade. I know. Uh, for that finger. She's not messing around. Uh-uh. Uh, Native American or American Indian, like their folklore mm-hmm. is fantastic. Like mm-hmm. their, their storytelling and- Yeah. Uh, yeah. I find all of their, their traditional stories just really uh, enthralling okay. is the word yeah. I want. Yeah. 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 I love it. I love it. As you were talking about her- uh, we're watching The Curious Case of Natalia Grace, and I just suddenly flashed on that orphanage that she was in. 
and how they would like have somebody dress up. Yeah, that's their claim that somebody would like scare the children into like staying in their rooms to go to bed at night. Because I was just thinking about how like we use folklore to like scare yeah. children into behaving or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, mm -hmm. actually. The grim fairy tales, all that kind of stuff. It all comes from people just like wanting their kids to go to bed and also wanting them to stay out of the woods where they could get lost. They, right. could, they could die in these very kind of um, non-supernatural ways. Right. And so to protect their kids and keep them from doing certain things, people would tell these, yeah, crazy horror stories to scare them into not misbehaving. It's so funny. Uh-huh. Years and years and years and years and years of yeah, centuries. scaring kids into good behavior. <laughs> yep, yep. Do we do that now? Not like we used to, but um, I mean, I guess our warnings, you know, like. Santa won't come. I mean, we do funny things uh -huh. like that. Like, yeah, yeah. Be good. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you really think about uh, that song, you better watch out, you better not cry. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like uh -huh. Santa's watching. Yeah, yep. we have the elf on the shelf too, that they're supposed to be watching like. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. more eyes on the kid than Santa. They're, they're, <laughs> right. they're the eyes when Santa's not around. When, when Santa's yeah. busy. Yeah. Yeah, there is this thing of like, yep, you're always being watched. Which is so creepy when mm -hmm. you really think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, and then there's an element of that in religion as, as well, for sure. Mm -hmm. God's always watching you. Ah. Knows what you're doing. Going to punish you if you're bad. Be good. Yep. So be good. Yeah. Or he'll get you. Or yep. Yeah. Maybe he has a blade finger and he doesn't. <laughs> um, okay. Well, real quick before I dive into my stories, I have an announcement this week. Yeah. Uh, round two of the Cummins Family Scholarship Fund presented by Bad Magic is finally here. Yippee! Uh, Asterisk. <laughs> We're giving you guys a uh, good heads up. Um, you can begin applying. Fans can begin applying uh, for one of four. If you remember last year, we had three. This year, because of your generosity on Patreon, we're able to bump it up to four. So there will be four $5,000 scholarships. You can only get one per person. So don't think don't think that somebody can get more than someone else. Uh, the applications will be live on March 6th, and they are due by April 24th. Uh, just like last year, uh, we had a link out from our from badmagicproductions.com or badmagicmerch.com. You can link out to the scholarship website, which is like a very long wordy thing. We'll throw it in uh, the episode description. All this information will be there. But again, you can start applying on March 6th and applications are due on April 24th. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. You ready, Spaghetti? I'm ready. This story, it just like, again, I think it's going to give you a good chuckle, but also great confirmation story. Okay. Good afternoon, Dan and Lindsay. <laughs> I stumbled across the show just a few weeks ago and have already listened to an amount of episodes I'm not sure I'm proud of. <laughs> As an Appalachian or Appalachian American, it's a different country, I'll admit that, and raised by Cajun parents, mm. I lack the aversion to the paranormal that regular folks have. It was just part of growing up. However, just because we accept it doesn't mean you ever get used to it. So here's a somewhat amusing tale for you. In 2017, I was working in a large southern city for a major cell phone tech support company. My job was to try to fix people's phones remotely, and if that proved impossible, I determined whether or not their issue was covered by warranty or user-inflicted and then recommended that they be sent a new phone for free or not. One late summer day, a young man called in, his accent immediately letting me know he was from up north. <laughs> I, I asked him how I could help, and he replied, I need a new phone. I didn't break mine, but you're not even going to believe how it broke. So just charge me whatever and I'll pay for it. Being a bored 30 year old wearing a headset inside on a beautiful day instead of out fishing, I said, I have time, sir. I've heard it all. Lay it on me. 
Okay, then, he said. A ghost broke my phone? That got my attention. (laughs) Okay, you got to tell me more. (laughs) Well, I live in New Jersey, and up here we have a place called the Great Swamp, and it's supposed to be haunted. Some friends and I wanted to go explore it, and one night we did, and I saw a ghost, and as soon as I went to snap a photo of it, my phone broke. Yeah, okay. I'm open-minded, but I've never heard of ghosts going around breaking Samsung Galaxies. However, that's when I had an idea. Wow, okay, well, if I remotely logged into your phone, would I see the photo? He said, maybe, and that he was willing to let me try, but warned me not to scroll too far through his camera roll. Fair enough. I could definitely write a book about the weird shit I've seen on people's phones. I logged into his phone, opened up the photos, and nearly tore off my headset. Now, my excitement got the attention of one of my supervisors, so he listened to the last few seconds of my call and then walked over, curious, and upon seeing my screen, he clamped a hand over his mouth that didn't quite muffle, holy shit, that's a ghost. And sure as shooting, it was. There, against the backdrop of a heavily wooded swamp, was a clearly visible but translucent woman wearing a long Victorian-era dress holding a parasol. She had a light blue coloring to her, and as I sat there, staring, a small crowd was gathering behind me to witness the phone-breaking ghost. Now I know what you're thinking. He probably faked it, or photoshopped it, but here's the deal. It was in his camera app, not in another folder, and unless he knew more about phones than I did, he couldn't have faked it. After a few minutes, and after everyone had gotten a peek, I finally spoke to him again. Sir? I'm going to recommend a warranty replacement. (laughs) Enjoy your new phone and don't bring it to the Great Swamp. It's my sincere hope that to this day, that's the only case in the company's history of, quote, recommend warranty replacement, phone broken by ghost. Yours truly, Matt. Wow, that's cool, Matt. Yeah, isn't that a fun story? Yeah, yeah. I guess he probably couldn't share the picture because it didn't come from his phone, right? Well, he would have had to like save it to like a company computer Uh, and then text it or email it to himself. I'm sure that breaks some kind of privacy thing. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. But oh, uh, dang, I would but, love to see it. <laughs> I would love to call our phone provider yeah. and say a phone a uh, ghost, ghost broke, broke my, my phone. phone. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh huh. <laughs> Not replacing it, but you can pay for a new one. Uh huh. Uh huh. Like we can all put ourselves in that predicament because I love that the user was like, "Listen, just I'll pay for it. I don't care." Right. You know, like right, already right, things right, going right. into it. But then also, that's like a good maybe something for you to look into the Great Swamp. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not. I wonder if that is in the Pine Barrens, which is like a part of New Jersey where uh, I think the legend of the Jersey Devil comes from. Mm. Like this cryptid, uh, the whole like Pineys. Uh, like, I was going to say, did we do that here or was that just on Time Suck? It became like a, uh, it was like an early popular kind of joke gag from Time Suck where I had like, uh, it was real backwoods at one point. Uh-huh. And people like looked down on the on the so-called Pineys. And I had this stupid song, like, look at here now, I got some puke, taste this puke, ever did lick out of a woman, out of my woman's beard. <laughs> and then, there was a, a second verse too, something about, uh, you know what, it's not really appropriate. All the the time suck listeners who also listen to Scared yeah. to Death will just appreciate that. That yeah, little, little bit nod. that you gave them. Yeah. yeah. Also love the little Pat Sajak nod <laughs> in there. <laughs> I know I heard too. you laugh earlier. I was <laughs> I like, oh man. Guard. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, that one, um, I'll you know, credit her again, but that was, uh, um, yeah, Molly Box uh, uh, found that story. Yeah. Oh yeah, the first mm-hmm. two. And I was like, oh, I was like, did you pick it because of Pat Sajak? <laughs> <laughs> Another Time Suck reference. Uh-huh. Yes, yes, yes. But yeah. Okay, you ready for a, a different, much more scary possible interference with a phone and a ghost. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go. 
I recently started listening to Scared to Death and have been binging the back catalog during my 10-hour workdays. I introduced the show to my wife, and after she listened to her to her first episode, she asked me, well, are you going to submit your story? But I just looked at her blankly. What story? The one when you worked security, she said. More blank stares from me. At the creepy building, on the hill, and the cops were called, and Ashley got all those creepy calls. I literally have no idea what you're talking about, I said. I remember the place you're talking about, but nothing happened that was noteworthy. And then my wife told me a story that I had told her of a scary experience that I have absolutely no recollection of. Now, my wife likes to pull jokes on me every now and then, but I could tell this wasn't a joke. I called my old supervisor, who I'm still friends with, and not only did she confirm all of the details my wife relayed to me, she also told me that there were recorded security logs, a police report, and that I had handwritten a report that I had signed. The story that follows is scary enough, but to me, the scariest part of all is that I have absolutely no memory of this night. Time now for the tale of Do You Believe Now? As previously stated, I worked security. Sometimes you would get nice jobs, event security for local parties or concerts. One time I got to meet all the members of Motley Crue and sit on their bus and stop unauthorized people from entering. This was not one of those jobs. I was assigned to guard an abandoned building on the outskirts of town. Why would anyone pay to have an abandoned building guarded, you ask? Well, the property had just been purchased by a developer and was constantly being broken into by people stealing copper pipes and wires out of the walls. Plus, the building had a reputation for being haunted, so people would break in in search of a paranormal encounter. If any building deserved to be haunted, though, it would be this one. It was built in the late 1800s as a church and a place that housed girls looking to become nuns. During that time, lightning had literally struck the bell tower, causing a partial collapse that killed one of the residents. Then later in the 1930s, it was converted to a tuberculosis hospital where you know many people had died. And then its latest life was a senior living facility that had been shut down to mis- due to mistreatment of the elderly. Then the building sat unoccupied for close to 10 years before it was purchased by the previously mentioned developer. I'd been working at this site for a couple of weeks on the graveyard shift. 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. Since the building was so dilapidated, the guards sat in their cars outside and every 30 minutes were required to make rounds. Rounds consisted of walking around the outside of the building and through the lower level of the building. They didn't want us to go upstairs because they didn't trust the state of the floors or the stairs to the second and third floors. After our rounds, we used the security phone, a cell phone that was passed off between shifts, to text any findings and keep a digital log. All of my texts up until 2.30 a.m. read, nothing to report. Between my 2.30 and 3 a.m. rounds, it had started to snow heavily. When I exited my car for my 3 a.m. rounds, there was already a half of inch of snow where there had been none during my 2.30 round. After getting out of my car, the first thing I noticed was that there was a set of footprints all around my car, like someone had circled it multiple times. I knew they weren't mine because not only was there no snow during my last rounds, but I never would have walked in circles around my car. It was cold out. I always walked as quickly as possible from the building to the driver's side door, rushing to get back into the warmth of the car. How hadn't I noticed someone walking around my car multiple times while I was sitting in it? My lights were automatic, so with the car running to provide me heat, my lights were on. I would watch movies on my laptop in between my rounds, but I still would have noticed someone walking around my car a minimum of three times. 
The set of tracks came from the building out to my car, around the car, and then back to the building. I sent a dispatch. I sent a text to dispatch for my log at 3.03 a.m. Possible trespassers, footprints in snow going in and out of building. I didn't want to log the part about them being around my car because I didn't want to get in trouble for not seeing someone that had walked so closely to my vehicle. I followed the prints inside of the building where the wet tracks were obvious on the dirty floors as they veered into a room off the main hallway. I attempted to call my supervisor, but it went straight to voicemail. I didn't leave a message. Before entering the room, I announced my presence and said loudly that they were trespassing and needed to leave. No response. We were not issued or allowed firearms with this company, but I had my concealed carry permit and carried my pistol at all jobs because I figured the only way anyone would find out is if something serious happened, and at that point, I wouldn't care if I was fired. I palmed the spot on my back where my pistol was and stepped around the corner into the room. Empty. No place anyone could hide. It was a completely bare room. As I was getting ready to leave the room, a rush of air moved past me and the door slammed shut with such force it created a deafening bang. At this time, I was not a believer in spirits or whatnot. I just liked scary stories, and I'm still not much of a believer, but definitely more accepting of the possibilities of things we can't explain. I thought there had to be a draft that slammed the door shut, but the windows in this room had been replaced with thick, secured plywood. I tried to open the door, but it wouldn't budge despite looking like it was barely still attached to the hinges. It was stuck so tight it wouldn't even wiggle in the frame. And that's when I heard the voice. Do you believe now? It asked. It didn't sound like it was coming from the room or even in the building. It sounded like it was in my head. It started quiet, not like a whisper, but like a far-off voice coming from inside my head. Do you believe now? It repeated over and over, growing louder each time. Do you believe now? Do you believe now? Do you believe now? I thought I was going crazy. Like, I'm just letting my mind go to the worst possibilities, hoping none of this is actually happening. When I hear a voice in my head, like an inner monologue, it's always my own voice. This was not my voice. It sounded rough and gravelly, like the voice of Sam Elliott without the charming Southern drawl. It kept repeating louder and louder. Do you believe now? Do you believe now? Do you believe now? I grabbed my security phone and called my supervisor. The phone rang, and when she picked up on the other end, I was not greeted by her soft, mousy voice. Instead, I heard the same rough voice from my head, except now I physically heard it coming out of the phone. Do you believe now? I hung up the phone and tried to call my supervisor on my personal phone, and the same thing happened. Do you believe now? By now, I was beyond scared. My work phone rang, and it was my supervisor. I picked up and said, something weird is going on here. But I was cut off by that damn voice. Oh, my God. Do you believe now? I hung up the phone quickly, and the voice continued in my head until I finally yelled at the top of my lungs, no, I don't fucking believe in you. At that moment, everything went silent, and the door swung open with a loud slam. On the other side of the door was my supervisor with two police officers, guns drawn. They scanned the room and saw that no one else was there. As I told all of them what had happened, another searched the building and found no signs of intruders. The footprints were gone or trampled on by their feet as they were undistinguishable from the officers. The officer I told my story to and who filled out the report said this wasn't the first time they'd been called out to this building for weird occurrences. He absolutely believed that the place was haunted. 
My supervisor told me when I called her from the work phone and from my personal phone, she also heard the voice saying over and over, do you believe now? Oh my God. And when she called me back, was met with the same voice repeating its message. She called dispatch and asked for the logs. And after the footprint log that I had sent at 3.03, my next log was at 3.30 and said, do you believe now? After reading the footprint log and hearing the strange voice, she called the local PD to meet her out there because she had feared someone has snuck onto the property and overpowered me. The officer said that they were going to send a police car out there for the rest of the night, and they sent me home as they could tell I was pretty shooken up. I turned my work phone over to my supervisor and drove home. I woke up my then girlfriend, now wife, and told her all of this. And that's where most of the story comes from, from her retelling me this story and my old supervisor filling in the missing parts. When I called my old supervisor to verify this story, she told me something that no one else could have known. Dispatch reported that fact, uh, dispatch reported that check-in text from the security phone continued to come in every half an hour until 7 a.m. Every half an hour, a text came through saying, do you believe now? Oh my God. The story doesn't scare me, mainly because I don't remember much of it or any of it. What does scare me is that I don't remember it. I don't know if I blocked out as some sort of trauma response or what, but it severely freaks me out. That's a weird one where the um, storyteller doesn't remember the story. They experienced it, uh, shared it with their partner, and then there was a supervisor. Excuse me. And then those people shared it back with them, and now they're sharing it with us. That would freak me out, too, if like— People are telling me the story that I told them, this terrifying story, and I have no memory of it. Right. Because there's like, you know, basics of like, don't you remember? And then you Uh tell somebody and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you piece it together. Maybe you Mm -hmm. have some holes. A whole story like this. Yep. This whole night at work. That they're just like, nope. Gosh, man, that that that's a really creepy one. Um, it was interesting, like when they said in the story, like when the thing was, you know, ramping up. Do you believe me now? Do you believe, or do you believe? Do you believe now? Yeah, do you believe now? Do you believe now? Um, and then they they were like, no, I don't, because I feel like I would have been like, yes, yes, I believe. Uh huh. Me too. Me too. Like just like make it stop. Uh-huh. I believe you. Go yeah. away now. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I may be smart to say like no. Mm-hmm. Like maybe, because what, what would have happened if they would have said yes? Would like it would have, have given him more power or something? I don't know. The text God. messages too, that like, cause I, I, it took me a second to like wrap my head around it. I was like, oh yeah. my God, that is so crazy. So like you have your personal phone and your work phone and so smart of like the security company, like, okay, so, you know, I'm working this graveyard shift and when mm-hmm. you show up, I just hand this phone off to you mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. have this uh, log of check-in text every 30 minutes. Yeah. This person was no longer even working, right? right? Yeah, and every half hour, they just kept coming in. For hours, from approximately 3 a.m. to 7 Mm a.m., every 30 minutes, do you believe now? Do you believe? Get the fuck out. What was that? What the hell? Just just having that, oh my gosh, especially when you're alone. Like like if, oh my God, like if I was here, okay, I'm in the scared of death studio. Oh my God. I'm working late by myself. Uh, I called you to see if you need anything, you know, before I come home for the night. Yeah. And all of a sudden I just hear like a voice, especially coming from my phone. Do you believe now? Do you believe now? Right, as you're trying you to believe- call me. Yeah. Oh yeah. My God. I mean, I would hang up and just hope there was a weird ass glitch at first, but if it happened again, oh man, I'd be out of here so fucking fast. Yeah. Crazy that this person called their supervisor, was met with that voice. And then the mm-hmm. supervisor tried to call them back mm-hmm. and the supervisor was also met with the voice. Like it just, both phones, like it wasn't even just like isolated to one phone, personal phone, work phone, both people are hearing it. I mean, that's, 
wild. That's really creepy. I love the idea of hiding like a small speaker in there, and attaching <laughs> it to this system, knowing yeah. you're going to go in there to study for the oh night. Oh my god! And I'll god. just I'll put like two hours of silence, and I'll just hit oh, play. Oh man! Scare the shit. That'd be so great. I'm just out here now? doing all the steps. Like how can I make that work? <laughs> I know. I've been thinking about because it's been so long since I messed with Kyler. And now with Monroe, but she, I just know she's going to get so mad. Oh, and also she's going to figure it out so fast. Maybe. And Monroe has like an epic memory and I just feel like she'll like, it'll scare her for a second and she'll be like, oh yeah, dad did this to Kyla. Yeah, the little speaker scare because it is yeah. such a good one. It is such a good one. But Hide a little speaker in somebody's room or off. I didn't think of that. That's really smart to make a custom track though with a long delay. Yeah. Oh man. Dang it. That would be even better for like, okay, like Kyla oh. or something. Let's let's do it when we move him to his dorm next year. Oh my long de- so great. Long delay. And then let's say it takes two hours before, like when you hit play. Well, we'd have to do it at home because you have to have your phone near it if you don't have a system there. Like Logan could do it here because of the recording system we have. Yeah, yeah. But it's smart where it's like, okay, you set up the initial track where two hours of silence, then it does whatever creepy noises for, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 seconds. And then it's silent for like 15 minutes. I just want like an again. old, like a old uh, tape player mm. and hide it in the house. <laughs> It's the but, only way you could do it, but not had, digitally. Yeah. Yeah. But digitally, if you had some like eight hour, 10 hour long track that just made noises every once in a while and you hit a little speaker and we're in somebody's room or house, oh my God, you could epically scare the shit out of them. <sighs> Be so great. Yeah. I guess we shouldn't really do that to Kyler or try to figure it out because he has roommates. So. No, we got to do it to Momo. The, the roommates might not be amused. We could put it in mm. our car. Yeah. Yeah, but again, like you got to have the, you have to have the device near it with the, to have the Bluetooth connection. So when she drove off, it wouldn't work anymore. It would disconnect. Well, that's why I was saying you need like an old tape recorder. Oh yeah, or like an old phone that you also hide in the car, mm-hmm. and that phone is attached. Okay, okay. We're, we've got yeah. ideas. We've got ideas. Yeah. We've got ideas. <laughs> I just like picturing us like tearing apart her driver's seat, like shoving an old <laughs> phone or something up there, like. Yeah, I mean, what a creepy, creepy story. And maybe not the car because then somebody could have a car accident. Okay, that's Now fair. I'm thinking like you go through all this like setup mm-hmm. and then just just to get your own kid in a car accident. I'm like, okay, okay, maybe that was a bad idea. Like, oh Maybe maybe just bedroom. Maybe just bedroom. <laughs> we could, maybe we could get her other parents in on it so that it's happening at both of her houses. That would be so dramatic. But also great. <laughs> <laughs> that might backfire epically. When Rose in therapy. She has recurring nightmares. <laughs> so why do all my parents hate me so much? <laughs> uh, you wanna... Well, I thought it was such a great story. <laughs> yeah, 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 me too. Yeah. That one creeped me out more than a story in quite a while. Yeah. It, 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 sometimes for it me, lingers. It, just, it just comes down to the phrasing. Do you believe now? I know, I was do also... you believe now? Not even, it, for, for some reason, sorry, that's creepier to me than do you believe in me now? Yeah. Just, just do, do you, you believe, believe. Fucking what? Do I believe in what? I know. Yeah. And they were saying too, I was looking at this, you know, they've been in security for, you know, quite some time, it yeah. sounds like, and had been working at this location for, they said like several weeks. Mm. Yeah. A couple of weeks. So I like, and, and are an admitted non-believer. Mm-hmm. So it's like an interesting thing to think about, like for weeks you've been coming there with your, like, I don't give a you know, fuck attitude, like whatever, I'm not scared. And maybe it irritated this spirit and it just was waiting, just Uh, waiting for its moment. mm -hmm. Because it wasn't like night one on shift. Yeah. I mean, it feels very, either either that's an awesome spirit that just like waited for a prime opportunity or someone 
Like the developer <laughs> yeah. is getting such a good laugh oh out God. of security footage somewhere. Some tech whiz. Oh, he's so great. All right. Well, do you want to do some shout outs, Dan? Yeah, I'll start by uh, thanking some of our Annabelles. Okay, let's do it. For supporting us here. We appreciate it so much. Uh, Catalina Ramirez, Jarrett Morgan, uh, Artorius D, Cole Murphy, Valerie Jakubovic, Marco Guerrero, Dana Stinson, Jay Bash, Kara Ang- uh, Angeles, or um, Angeles or Angeles, uh, Elizabeth A.R. Stubbs. Nice. I would like to thank the following Annabelles for helping us add an extra um, uh, scholarship this yeah, year. Thank yeah. you so much. Liam Knipe, My Dark Passenger 13. Timmy, with two exclamation points. Chris Boaz, Kaylin Dutton, Rachel Buffell, Hank, Rosalie Bender, Tanya Kalantis, and Teabag. <laughs> and Teabag. Okay. Funny, funny. You got some spooky shout outs? I do. Two main from Tyler. You are my Joe. I mm-hmm. love you with all my heart, and I can't wait to spend our lives together with our little family. To my creeper father, Don, from his creeper son, Matthew. Happy birthday to the best father daddy a man can ask for. I love <laughs> you and can't thank you enough for the lessons, even if they came the hard way. Also, hey, Rebecca. To Shannon from Lisa. Hope you had an amazing day. Happy belated birthday. So grateful for you. To Donovan from Caroline. To my peeper, thank you for being an incredible person. I'm so proud of you from your creeper. To Kirsty from Phoebe, happy 30th birthday. And to Victoria from Victoria, happy birthday and good luck at your upcoming horse shows. Remember to channel Ariana. <laughs> That's awesome. And and I just uh, wanted to say really quick uh, for those, uh, you know, the Annabelle's to support our show, um, you know, for the for our patrons who get, they get ad-free episodes. Yes. And ad-free episodes are getting at what tier? Sorry, I just had this thought of uh, both uh, both five and ten. Okay, okay, right? okay. Both Robert and Annabelle. I can't remember. I can't remember uh, as I'm saying this without looking, but I think so. But this yes. episode, okay, yeah. yes, okay, I thanks, want- Logan. This episode actually will come after Logan and I. I, I messed up on my math a little bit, oh. and the Nightmare Fuel Friday episode, the first one, just came out before this one. Oh, yes, so, yes, because yes. we record in advance, so sometimes things get a little like jacked up in our brains mm-hmm. of like, when did this happen? Yeah, so um, I didn't say anything about it because I don't know what the feedback is yet, but hopefully you have liked it, and uh, yeah, you get those ad free as well uh, through our patrons. Um, yes, yeah, through our patron, yeah, Patreon, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I just had that thought. I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah. As, as we're recording here, I was like, shoot, uh, that thing already came out. So hopefully, hopefully you enjoyed it. And if you didn't know about it, well, now you do. Now you do. Go find it. And I wasn't there. So for those of you that don't enjoy me, oh boy. go enjoy Dan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that is our show today. Uh, thank you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else, info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thank you to Logan Keith scoring today's show. Thank you to Heather Rylander organizing the My Story emails. To book editor Drew Atana for polishing and preparing listener stories for book number five. Thank you to Molly Jean Box for finding the first story I told this week. And to Olivia Lee for finding the second. We are on YouTube if you'd like to watch the show. And we're on Facebook and Instagram where we post pics that accompany episodes and more at Scared to Death Podcast. Same handle for TikTok. We have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers, full of fellow horror lovers on Facebook. Enjoy your nightmares, Creeps and Peepers. Go find me back on Pandora. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. 
let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but have no home here within scared to death. Mad Magic Productions. And maybe not the car because then somebody could have a car accident. Okay, that's now fair. I'm thinking like you go through all this like setup mm-hmm. and then just just to get your own kid in a car accident. I'm like, okay, okay, maybe that was a bad idea. When you buy a new house, you might say, shut the front door. Winning. No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. (laughs) No one says that anymore, but I don't care. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free. Shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 